On this episode of the Breaking the Game Show, Kenneth and I talk about the first week of the NBA action. We talk about the undefeated teams, the teams that have gotten off to a slow start. We get into our underperforming players so far in the first week and then wrap it up with MVP discussion. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We'll be right back with you after this short break. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Breaking the Game here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. I am Stephen Gillespie. I'm co-hosting it up with my good friend, Kenneth. What's up, Kenneth? How are we doing today? I'm doing well. As we're recording, it's a beautiful Sunday. Uh, we got football on, but we're here to talk some hoops today as the season is finally here. We've had some great games so far, and we're going to break down some of them. Yeah, absolutely. So this is going to be the week one recap. That's kind of hard to say. I kind of turn my R's into W's whenever I try to say my words really, really fast. But, you know, hey, we're all human and we're all here right now. And Kenneth, it's such a nice time of year because you just mentioned we're watching football. You just mentioned that basketball is in full swing. The MLB playoffs are in full effect. There was a, a, a G League draft. I mean, there's so much happening right now. But my favorite part of the year personally is the return of the NBA season. Kenneth, just talk to me a little bit about, you know, what are your feelings, your thoughts, you know, your evaluations, like in opening week, like what are your expectations like? Uh, my expectations opening week are usually pretty low, especially for, for the really good teams, because we know opening night, we usually get a lot of great matchups. Like this year, we had Bucks and Nets, we had Lakers and Warriors. So Teams are going to lose games early on. Sometimes it's due to scheduling, sometimes conflict and other things. So I like watching some of these rookies finally get a chance to see them play because it's been months since the draft happened. And, you know, preseason is great and all, but it's nice to see them finally get out on the court in regular season games, games that really mean something and see what they can bring to the table, especially for some of these lower teams that we know aren't going to be in the playoffs, but they could definitely win some games and be fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite things to kind of pay attention to are fan bases. You know, I, I don't really have a team. I know you're more partial to to a team than some of the others, but, you know, you, I believe you do a great job of keep, keeping your bias out of it. But one of the things that always cracks me up is, you know, two, three games into the season and everyone acts like the standings are basically set in stone, like the way that they are now is the way that they're going to be when the time the season finishes. And we just know that's not the way that, that things are going to shake out and we're going to kind of start out talking about that, Kenneth. Uh, you know, in, in the matter of 24 hours, you know, our show notes have have deferred quite a bit because there were fewer undefeated teams today when we woke up than yesterday, right, whenever we came in and started preparing for this show. So, Kenneth, there's a couple of teams that are undefeated so far, and we know we have to do a good job of, you know, tempering our expectations. But some of these teams that we see that are undefeated actually did a really good job last year. Some of these teams that are undefeated this year built upon tremendous success that they had upon the previous season. So a few of these teams, Kenneth, we look at and we say, okay, they're keeping it going. You know, they had a good offseason. They had a good draft. Some of these teams, you know, same thing, good offseason, a good draft. They didn't make the playoffs last year, but it looks like they're going to be much improved this season. And then finally, Kenneth, there are some teams that we just know aren't going to stay undefeated. Or, or even remain in playoff contention 
by the time the season finishes. So the first team that I want to discuss with you, Kenneth, are the New York Knicks. Now they've beaten the Boston Celtics in the Orlando Magic. Boston in a tremendous double overtime game where they won 138 to 134. And then Orlando, they they beat them pretty handily, 121 to 96. What have been your 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 thoughts on the way that the Knicks have started the season so far? I mean, obviously, starting out with two wins is never a bad thing. Uh, they had that thrilling double overtime game with Boston. Uh, but Boston, I mean, they should have closed out that game in regulation. They're up by a half dozen with only a minute, minute and a half left. And, you know, Boston hits some shots to send it to overtime, but they're able to ultimately scrap it out. I mean, Julius Randle, a player that we were critical of a couple weeks ago, not necessarily that we didn't think he would play well, but could he live up to expectations of being an all-NBA guy last year and getting paid this offseason? We see that he's a 28-9-8 guy and a steal and a block per game. Like, he's been incredible for them out of the gate. Evan Fournier was a great pickup by them. Uh, He's averaging 25 per game as well. RJ Barrett hasn't even played phenomenal yet or even Kemba Walker to that extent. So if those guys start picking it up as well, I think the Knicks have shown that they've got more depth. They've got more shooting. uh, Their defense is still very solid. uh, So overall, I've been impressed by the Knicks. Yeah, me as well. And, you know, some of the other players that haven't really torn it up, you know, Derek Rose has had some moments. Emmanuel Quickly, a guy who I was really high on coming into the hit in his draft class, and he had a good rookie year. He hasn't really done that well either. And then Mitchell Robinson, you know, a little already kind of an injury scare. It doesn't look like it's going to be anything too severe. But, you know, his his first game back as a New York Nick, you know, I think it went, you know, according to plan. So, Kenneth, just real quick, their next three games that they have, they have the Orlando Magic again, the Philadelphia 76ers. And then the next team we're going to be talking about after this three game you know, preview the Chicago Bulls. They'll be facing up with them. Um, what are your expectations for, for them for the next three games? I mean, they should definitely beat Orlando. We've seen them so far this year. They're a really young team. It's going to take them quite a bit of time to rebuild here. We know that when you've got two rookies starting to start the season, that's when you know that things are, are tough for your franchise. Philadelphia and Chicago are weird ones for me. Uh, We know that Ben Simmons isn't playing in Philly, but Joel Embiid is still there, Tobias Harris. So that's always going to be a tough game. The Bulls have started really strong as well. So I would expect them to go two and one over that stretch, one and two at the very worst, because Orlando should be should be a relatively easy win for them. Yeah, I echo that same sentiment. I'm of the mindset that they go two and one beat Orlando and then they split either Philadelphia or Chicago. I think that Chicago might be the team. That they that they beat because of you know their style of play. I think that they can grit and grind with Chicago as good as any other team that we're going to be seeing them match up against here in the short term. Speaking of the Chicago Bulls, Kenneth, they're another undefeated team. They've beat Detroit twice and the New Orleans Pelicans. Their first game was against Detroit. They beat them ninety four to eighty eight. The New Orleans Pelicans they beat one twenty eight to one twelve, and then they beat the Detroit Pistons again ninety seven to eighty two. Kenneth. Zach Levine has kind of come out strong out of the gates, twenty over 26 points per game, almost six rebounds per game, and almost five assists per game. New signing, DeMar DeRozan, over 21 points per game, six rebounds per game, and four assists per game. They've had great contributions from some other guys as well. Talk to me a little bit about Chicago Bull, and they're 3-0 right now, number one in the Eastern Conference. Was this what you had in mind for them? I mean, I felt like they should start 3-0. There was a lot of changes made in the offseason in Chicago, but when you get Detroit twice, you get New Orleans without Zion. Those should be wins for you, especially you need to win these games because we won't look at these games now, but at the end of the season, 
if you drop a game like this, even two games like this, then that could ultimately put you at the eight seed when you could be the five or six seed in the Eastern Conference because we know how tight it's going to be this year. Lonzo Ball with a triple-double the other night. He was a great addition for them. The thing about Chicago, why I think a lot of people are a bit lower on them heading into the year, is once you get outside of those three and Vucevic, the bench isn't great. Like Caruso's there, but then you're starting to go to like Patrick Williams and some other guys. So if they can stay healthy the whole season, do what Phoenix did last year, I could see them being a top six seed in their conference very easily. If anyone gets hurt out of those four, though, they have a serious drop off in production. And I don't know if they have the players behind them in order to to make up that de- deficit. But I mean, overall, even their next three games, they've got a couple of non-playoff teams. And then we talked about the Knicks as well. So that's a that's a toss up for me as well. So could I see them starting six? No, sure. Could they go four and two pretty easily as well? Yeah, absolutely. You talked a little bit about Alex Caruso, um, Ao Desumu, the the reigning you know um, player of the year coming out of college last season. He had a good opening game, so you see a little bit of flashes of depth. But overall, I agree with you, Kenneth, that outside of their starting five, you know, Patrick Williams is showing a little bit of that defensive instincts that he had coming out of Florida State for his uh, you know college career. But I mean, at worst, Chicago has been fun to watch. I mean, they they have. The, the other night when they had those, uh, you know, consecutive blocks to protect the paint, you know, with uh, Lonzo Ball getting up and and blocking the shot for the second time, and then they were able to push the break coming out of that turnover. That was just fun, fun to see. And I can't remember the last time that we saw Chicago, a fun team to watch. Kenneth, you touched on their next three games. They have Detroit, Toronto, and New York. What are your expectations in that stretch? Yeah, I definitely think they should take care of business against Detroit again. Uh, they still don't have Cade Cunningham. I think if Cade is there, I could see them potentially stealing one of those first two matchups or this one. But uh, Toronto isn't a great team. Uh, we've seen even their best players have struggled to start the season. So I would expect to win there. And then I think they would drop the game to the Knicks to make it a, a five and one start for Chicago, which is a great start for a franchise like this that has all these moving pieces. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that they could go two and one as well with that slate ahead of them. Now the Washington wizards, they were a team that barely made the playoffs last season, but they still did it. They traded away, you know, Russell Westbrook kind of will they, won't they with Bradley bill. Then they bring in guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, Montrez Harrell, you know, KCP, but right now they're undefeated, man. They've beat the the Toronto Raptors without Pascal Siakam. And then the Indiana Pacers, we'll talk about them, or we were going to be talking about them had they not won last night. But it seemed like opening up the the season, they were just unable to close out a game. But then they finally beat Miami the other night. Um, but Washington beat Toronto, ninety eight to eighty three, and then Indiana one thirty five to one thirty four. Kenneth, talk to me a little bit about some of these standouts that they have on this team. Like we know what Bradley Bill can do, but he actually it actually looks like they're trying to build a team around him for once in his career in, in Washington. Definitely. When we had the Hoopers on a couple weeks ago previewing this division, we talked about Washington as one of those teams where could we see them sneak into that play-in, even the eight or nine seed of that play-in? Yes. Could we see them finishing 13th? Also, yes. They've impressed so far. They beat teams that are going to be ahead of them when it comes to this play-in situation because we know Toronto's going to be in that mix. Indiana is. So those are two big wins. 
Kyle Kuzma has played really well out of the gate for them. Montrez Harrell's played really well. They're starting to show a lot more depth than they've had in the past. That's why I was okay for Washington giving up Westbrook because, yeah, you give up a, a guy like Russell Westbrook who's an all-star every year, but in return you're getting a guy like Montrez Harrell who is a former sixth man of the year. You're getting Kyle Kuzma. His rookie year, he looked phenomenal. Just looked like he didn't fit in well with LeBron James, so he gets a fresh start there. They brought in Spencer Dinwiddie. Prior to him getting hurt, he was a near all-star in the Eastern Conference as well with the Brooklyn Nets. So I think they made some great moves. I think as long as Beal and these guys stay healthy, they're going to be a tough tough team to beat every night because they're going to be able to have four or five guys that can give you 18 to 25 points every given night, and I think that's huge for them. Yeah, and the aforementioned Spencer Dinwiddie right now is averaging 23.5 points per game, five boards, and seven and a half assists. While Montrezl Harrell coming off the bench is giving you 18, 8, and 1 block per game. You know, a lot of energy. Again, something that the Washington Wizards, the district, they haven't seen in quite some time. So, Kenneth, here's where I think their their stretch of games is starting to, you know, they might some they might come down to reality a little bit um, too soon for some of these fans, right? So that their next three games, they have Brooklyn, Boston, and Atlanta. Kenneth, I'm looking at this stretch. I think maybe Boston is a winnable game. But I think they maybe go one and two through this stretch. Talk to me. What do you think? I actually think they go winless through this stretch. I mean, Brooklyn, that's a tough team to beat anytime. You've got Kevin Durant and James Harden on the court. Boston, they've started slow, but I think we know what what potentially have in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I think that's not sustainable long term for them to be struggling that badly. So I would lean Boston there. And Atlanta. Atlanta's a team that I really like this year because their depth is just like they they go so deep into their bench. We've seen Cam Reddish already perform really well and some other guys with this team. So I would say they're going to lose all these games at best. They're winning one. Uh, But as you said, like they're going to come back down to earth. Yeah, and that Atlanta game is a is a divisional game, and that's going to be kind of a must win in the early going for the season. So moving on from them, keeping it in the division, the Charlotte Hornets are another undefeated team. Now they've beat the Indiana Pacers in a very close game, 123 to 122. And then they beat Cleveland, 123 to 112. So, you know, this was one of the teams, Kenneth, that I looked at coming into the season. I projected them being in the playing game, but being the seventh seed by the time that the season ends. And so when you look at this team, when they have, you know, LaMelo Ball playing the way that he is and the rest of this roster, what has kind of been – do you think that what they are doing right now is sustainable throughout the season? I think it is as long as LaMelo Ball stays healthy because LaMelo makes everyone around him better. And I think when you take him away, then they start to become more of an isolation team, which they don't have the bodies, at least in my opinion, for them to actually do that. I think with LaMelo being there, he's making the guys like Kelly Oubre better on this team and other guys like the Gordon Haywards of the world. So as long as he's healthy, first of all, I think he's an all-star this year. I actually think he'll be up for most improved player because as we've talked about at length before, it's typically the best first-time all-star wins the most improved player award. That could be LaMelo Ball this year. So I think overall, as long as their cornerstone piece in ball stays healthy, then they're going to be just fine. Yeah, and another facet to that most improved player race is usually it's not a second-year player, so that would kind of buck the trend a little bit as well. So a little bit of uh, diametrically opposed viewpoints in that. But again, LaMelo Ball is giving you 24 points per game, six boards, six and a half assists. How about this? This, Kenneth, you know, his defense was one of these things that people were kind of not so high on. 
three and a half steals per game. Talk to me about a little bit of his defensive capabilities so far this season. I mean, his length overall, I think, is just such an asset. When you get to play the point guard position against guys who are typically 6'2", 6'3", and you're upwards of 6'7", 6'8", I mean, that's huge for a guy like LaMelo Ball to, to play solid defense. And just that added length when you're on point guards, I think, is huge. So that's where he can use his, his size as a mismatch, even on the defensive end. Yeah, and playing those passing lanes certainly is a, is an added bonus because this is a player that wants to push the break, whether he's going to finish it himself or he's going to set up his teammates for a really good, you know, over his shoulder, no look, you know, cross court to the opposite corner pass that he can just do, it seems like, at any given moment. So uh, moving forward for them, they have Brooklyn, Boston, and Orlando. Do the, do the Hornets keep up their hot start or do they start, you know, kind of waning down a little bit? Uh, I think they're going to keep up the hot start. I think any if you lose to Brooklyn, there's no shame in that. I think you got to use it as a learning experience. They're nine and a half point underdogs today against Brooklyn. I think that they're going to cover that. I think they're going to give them a real battle today. Uh, and that's just only going to help this team improve because they are still really young. I could see them winning both Boston and Orlando, though. Uh, as we talked about, Orlando's not going to win many games this year. And I think Boston's a bit of a toss up for me. So I think best case scenario, two and one, even if you go one and two, starting three and two to start the year is not a bad thing. No, and I think Brooklyn, that's a game that they might drop. I think Orlando is probably the win, but eventually Orlando is going to start winning some games and they're going to sneak up on one of these good teams, kind of like how Detroit did last season, where you know they, they won games that they had no business competing in. But the games that you you would think, okay, they just beat the Lakers last week, you know, maybe they can compete against the Cavaliers, and and no, they did not, right? So, um, hopefully, Orlando fans, you're you're listening and you're not hating us right now, but it's just difficult right now, based off of what we've seen so far, to imagine you being able to get up against a hot start team like the Charlotte Hornets. All right, so moving it from the East Coast to the West Coast here, Kenneth, the Golden State Warriors, the team that everyone kind of has, you know, opposite views on, you know hey, they're, they're going to return and they're going to be in championship contention or, you know, maybe the idea of the Warriors has become better than the Warriors themselves, right? So right now, Kenneth, they're 2-0. They beat both LA teams 121-114 to 114 against the Lakers and then 115-113 to 113 against the Clippers. Now, we all know Mr. Steph Curry is the face of the Warriors for good reason. We saw him lead the league in scoring last season. Looks like he's going to be in similar fashion again this year. Talk to me a little bit about the Warriors and their hot start, Kenneth. I mean, I'll, I'll say this much. If Steph Curry keeps shooting 47% from three this year, he's it's it's over. The MVP discussion is over. It's going to be Steph Curry as long as he stays healthy. So overall, when I look at this team, Jordan Poole's impressed me a lot. Andrew Wiggins has impressed me a lot because he's a guy that for a lot of years, people, it just felt like didn't like him. They thought, that he he had issues like mentally and stuff when it came to the game and you know does he really care at times I never thought that was the case I thought that he he got a fresh start in Golden State being in Minnesota is never easy uh but we're going to be touching on them in a little bit because apparently good times are ahead for them at least starting the season so looks like I, that might be the case I look at Golden State they beat both LA teams one toppled one's got dissension but either way you get two wins and that Lakers when they were down early and then they come back and win the game. Steph 
I don't think the 10 rebounds per game is sustainable, but if it does, then I mean, MVP (laughs) is a lock. Just, just hand them the award. If a point guard's averaging 10 boards a game and shooting 47% from three might be one of the greatest individual seasons we've ever seen. Not to mention about two steals per game, right? And almost six assists. Now, Jordan Poole, he's kind of doing what a lot of people were prognosticating about coming into the season, almost giving you 15 points a game almost seven rebounds, a couple of assists, and then a steal per game himself. Now, Kenneth, they started they started hot. You, you talked about the hobbled and the dissension. How about Sacramento, Oklahoma City, and then the Memphis Grizzlies? More to come on them here in a little bit. But, I mean, these next three games, are you expecting maybe, you know, a 5-0 start, a 4-1 start? Where, where are you projecting them finishing after these next three games? Uh, I would probably project them at a 4-1 and one start. Um, whether it's Sacramento or Memphis, because Sacramento's impressed me out of the gate as well. Mm-hmm. I like to see some of the things that they've been doing. Memphis as well, who we're going to touch on in a little bit. But Oklahoma City, they're kind of the Orlando of the Western Conference. Like Shea Gilgis Alexander hasn't even played well out of the gate, which when you're basically your team's only player with a bunch of rookies, it's not going to bode well for you to start the year. So I would imagine Golden State takes care of business there. They might slip up against one of these teams because what we do know about the NBA is that, yeah, it may look great on paper, but teams drop games that they shouldn't all the time. And I think that we could see that with one of these two. Yeah. I mean, if they beat Sacramento, you're talking about being th- not only three Oh, but being three Oh in your division within the Western conference, that's a huge start for them. So I imagine they will be ramped up for that game. Maybe take Oklahoma city a little, you know, maybe a little lightly, but still being able to beat them that Memphis game. I'm very interested in because Memphis looks completely different this year than they did last season. And a lot of that just has to do with the growth and the development of their young guys. So speaking of growth and development, not really, but still we'll move on to the Utah jazz. And this is a team that in the off season, they didn't make a lot of sexy move, Kenneth, but you know, I'll go ahead and lead off with this guy. I didn't have him here in my nose, but Hassan Whiteside anchoring down that backup big man role. I, I touched on that at large, you know, along with Philadelphia, adding Andre Drummond, so say what you will about these guys, but especially Hassan Whiteside. This is a guy that had character issues, quote unquote, and uh, just was chasing stats or whatever. But you're talking about backing up Rudy Gobert. What a huge acquisition. And so far, so good. They've beaten Oklahoma City and Sacramento. They beat OKC 107 to 86. And then Sacramento in kind of a close game, 110 to 101. Donovan Mitchell, obviously, still doing his thing. And Rudy Gobert, just a mountain of a man as well. Talk to me about the Utah Jazz, Kenneth. I mean, Utah's doing exactly what we thought they would. They beat Oklahoma City handily. They were down a little bit early to Sacramento, but I think the depth ultimately won out in that game, and they were able to come back and win. When you're going 9, 10 guys in a rotation, you've got a a superstar in Donovan Mitchell. You've got those defensive anchors in Gobert and Whiteside. You don't even lose a lot when Gobert goes off the floor, which is why when you were highlighting Whiteside, you were 100% right. The guy's over a block. He's a block and a half a game per guy. So... That's huge. It just anchors your defense even further. I just think overall this is a team that's going to win a ton of games. That's why I picked them to win the Western Conference this year as the one seed because I just don't see any other team in this conference that can really match up with them. When you start going down the line, if you get to six, seven, eight, like Joe Ingles is in that situation, and I don't see many teams with a Joe Ingles in that area. Not at all, and you're talking about bringing a guy like a Jordan Clarkson off the bench too being one of your top scorers, Bogdanovich is having himself a good season too, but a little bit more on Rudy Gobert, almost 17 points per game here in the early going, over 20 rebounds per game. That's ridiculous. 
and he hasn't even gotten his block numbers to where he normally likes them so far. But the next three games, uh, a couple of these might be a little challenging, Kenneth. They have Denver. We'll talk about them here in just a second as well. Houston, and then the aforementioned Chicago Bulls. Any of these matchups you have your eyes on? Uh, I got my eyes on Denver and Chicago because we've obviously seen Jokic start really strong, and we're going to touch a little bit more on him right away here. So I have concerns just because when you're going up against an MVP candidate like that, it's always going to be a concern. Houston, that should be an easy game for them. Um, Jalen Green has looked okay out of the gate. I think people expected him to score a little bit more than he is, but Kevin Porter Jr. struggled as well. And then Chicago, we've seen them out to the hot start as well. So does that translate to their first statement win over a team like Utah, or does Utah take care of business? So I would have them going 2-1 and one over that stretch. I just don't see Utah having many three-game stretches where they lose two games. So I think this is a case of that as well. I think they're going to go 3-0, and and we'll touch more on Denver here just after this analysis. But, I mean, the depth, the the injury that Denver has sustained so far outside of Nicola, it just seems like every other person just – we need one of you guys to step up. It just seems like Utah has that pecking order already established. And, again, that cohesion for the Utah Jazz is going to be a theme that continues on, in my opinion, for the rest of the season. I look at Utah, and I think they have a great chance starting out 5-0. and so moving on to the Denver Nuggets, we tease this out enough, Kenneth. They beat the Phoenix Suns and the San Antonio Spurs, beat Phoenix 110 to 98, and San Antonio 102 to 96. Now, again, they're doing this without Jamal Murray. You know, Will Barton has stepped up. He's giving you about 16 points per game, almost seven boards. And I think this is a career high, Kenneth, 5.5 assists per game. Talk to me a little bit about Denver Nuggets and what we've seen out of them so far. Uh, I think heading into this season, we felt like Denver was going to be a really solid team in the Western Conference. When you've got Nikola Jokic, who's averaging what he is at 29 and 14, he's shooting almost 70% to start the <laughs> season, stupid. which as a center that is not like an Andre Drummond, just around the rim type of guy, he's doing it from the outside, the mid range, like, yeah, he can do it inside, but when you're seeing those kind of numbers from a guy, and yes, we're only a couple games in, do I think he's going to sustain that? No. Once again, if he sustains that, he it might be a two-man race between him and Curry. So I think overall Denver's impressed me, especially that Phoenix game. They were down pretty early in that game, mm-hmm. even in the third quarter. What do they do? Storm back in the fourth, win by double digits. San Antonio, that's a team that you should beat this year. They're in that kind of lower tier of this conference. So Overall, I've been impressed by them. Michael Porter Jr. has been solid. Aaron Gordon's been solid as well. So this is a team that's got some sneaky depth. I think people talk about Murray being missing, and that automatically means the sky is falling. But they still have plenty of guys there. Yeah, and Will Barton is kind of picking up that lead guard role, and he's doing a pretty decent job. Kind of reminds me of when he was playing in Portland as more of a playmaker as opposed to just a uh, a wing scorer, right? So next three games, they have Cleveland, Utah, and Dallas. Kenneth, I'm looking at this. I'm thinking that they win their first game and probably drop the next two. I mean, Dallas hasn't looked good, but small sample size. They got an MVP candidate of their own, and they got some good players on their team. I think they might be able to get up against Denver. I, I, I have them projected to go one and two over this stretch. Talk to me about what you think. Yeah, I would go one and two as well, and I wouldn't rule out that Cleveland game either because we saw Cleveland out of the gate. They picked up a big victory over mm. an Atlanta team that has a ton of depth. Evan Mobley's been great. We've seen Colin Sexton be good. Jared Allen 
has been phenomenal. It's almost like he deserved to get paid that kind of money, and people were really critical of it. Got but him on my fantasy best, team, just saying. One of the best young centers in the world, and, and I'm happy to say that I've been on that train for many years. Uh, so I just think this is a tough stretch for them. When you're coming off of you beat or you beat Phoenix, which is a big win, but then when you have three tough teams like this, I would agree with the one and two because Jokic is going to find a way to win one of these games at best two. But I think if you have Jamal Murray, we might be having a different discussion. Yeah, and Michael Porter Jr. is yet to have a big game himself either, so it might be just it, it it might come down to Denver needing one of these guys to step up as a secondary scorer on this team. All right, so let's hop over to the Memphis Grizzlies. They beat the aforementioned Cleveland Cavaliers, and they also beat the Los Angeles Clippers. They beat Cleveland 132 to 121, and then the Clippers 120 to 114. They have a, a three-headed scoring monster right now between John Morant, uh, D'Anthony Melton, and Desmond Bain, the sophomore. All these guys scoring over 20 points per game. They just look tremendous in this super small sample size. Do you think this holds up, Kenneth? Uh, I think it does. I, I'm really high on this team this year. The Cleveland win, as we said, Cleveland just beat Atlanta, so that's not a that's not a, a win to to look, overlook on an 11 point victory like that. They were also down to the Clippers last night, and Paul George had 41 points in that game. Yep. But John Morant's been phenomenal. He's taking that next step. He's a guy to keep an eye out for most improved player as well this year. And do I think 32 and seven is sustainable for him? No. Do I think that 27 and, and 7 is doable? 100%. He's shown that he's a really athletic guard. He distributes really well for this team. I don't think the block per game is sustainable as a point guard, but you Man, never I know. I hope so. You, you never know. It'd be exciting if it was. Dwayne Wade the athleticism. So uh, overall, I just really like this Memphis team. Uh, they have a lot of guys that can come out and score 15, 20 points any night. They may only average 12, but that doesn't mean that they're not capable of scoring 20 any given night. So I really like Memphis this year. I think I had them as the seven seed heading into the season. So I think that they're going to, they're going to perform really well. Well, and it looks like they're kind of proving me wrong a little bit. I had them on the outside looking in, but again, it's a short season. I don't want that to dampen anyone's expectations on this team though, because I think that they have done, a, a super job you know building organically you know they haven't tried to expedite anything they got rid of some some players that we were kind of more high on than the guys that they brought in talking to you Stephen Adams but still this team is has performed well their next three games they have are against the Lakers the Blazers and then the Miami Heat that's that's going to be a tough stretch especially with the Lakers looking to start to gain momentum of their own Kenneth do you think that they you know, maybe win one game, two games, do they shock the world and go 3-0? What are you thinking? I think they have the potential to win two. I would say that they're going to win one. The Lakers, they're dealing with their issues right now. It's well documented that they are out of the gate. They've struggled. So it wouldn't shock me if Memphis goes in and wins that game. Portland is another team. CJ McCollum's played great, but is that sustainable for him? I'm not sure. So I think that they could win two games over this stretch. I think when they get Golden State in that third game, it's going to be a really tough one for them, but I think best case scenario, you win two games here, but don't be upset if you only win one. Once again, starting three and two is not a bad thing. Yeah, and good on you for picking up. I had their, I mentioned their fourth game against Miami, but Golden State, I mean, that makes it even more difficult in my eyes. I, I said that they had the heat. The heat's the fourth game, so I mean, we're talking about a really tough stretch yeah, coming down the pipe stretch. for the Grizzlies. So um, we'll, we'll move forward. The last undefeated team that we want to talk about, 
probably the last team that anyone had in mind going undefeated being the Minnesota Timberwolves, right? They are actually, what, the second best team in their division right now? Insane, right? So we're talking about them. Now, granted, they only beat the Houston Rockets and the New Orleans Pelicans without Zion Williamson, right? So Houston, they beat handedly 124 to 106. And then a little bit closer of a game against New Orleans, 96 to 89. They have had tremendous games from Carl Anthony Towns. Right now, he's averaging almost 28 points per game, seven boards, two assists, a steal, and two and a half blocks per game. And then the sophomore, Anthony Edwards, right in there with that LaMelo ball conversation yet again this season. What are you thinking about the way that this team has started, and is it sustainable, Kenneth? I don't think it's sustainable long-term. I think that they have a chance to be in that play-in situation this year. They're right there with the Sacramentos and the Pelicans, who, funny enough, they beat already this year. So, yes, you should take care of business against Houston. You should against New Orleans. So it's nice to see them win both of those games because years past, I think we would have seen them start one and one. Now that Mm -hmm. they have this quote-unquote big three there, I think it's going to be really interesting watching them this year. The next couple games are going to be really key for me as far as, okay, can they, can I truly see them being in that play-in game or when they play the teams that they do, are they going to fold and ultimately lose handily? So those ones I'm really interested in. Yeah. And Anthony Edwards giving you 24 points per game, eight boards, four assists and a steal. And then Jaden McDaniels, I'm super high on him. He's averaging two blocks and two steals in there in the short sample, right? Of only two games, but still giving you two and two on the defensive end. Those numbers pretty awesome. And then the next three games, Kenneth, you talk about, you know, it not being sustainable. They play against the Brooklyn Nets, the Boston Celtics, and the Orlando Magic. Potential to go 0-3 here, potential to go 2-1. Which way are you leaning? I would go 1-2 and two here. Um, I wouldn't be shocked that, honestly, if Minnesota beats either Brooklyn or Boston, but then they slip up against an Orlando because – when you go through two tough games in a row like that, you can often overlook your third opponent in a team like Orlando. So I think if they lose both, then they probably come back and beat Orlando. So I think they're going to go one and two over this stretch. I think it's possible that they go 0 and three because it's Minnesota. I would hope I would like to think, though, that they might go maybe one and two kind of along the same uh, mindset that you had. So, Kenneth, we're going to transition now. Why don't you take over here and we'll talk about some of these teams that are winless so far. Yeah, we've got quite a few winless teams so far to start the year, which I think is to be expected. I mean, we've only played a couple games, so there's always going to be winless teams like this. But there's some teams in here who I think were a bit more surprised or are winless than others, namely the Boston Celtics to start. I mean, we talked about it. They lost a double OT game to New York, but then they no-showed against a Toronto team who not many people have high expectations for this year. So what's been surprising about them is how poorly Jason Tatum has played. Jalen Brown was phenomenal in that first game against New York, but Tatum wasn't ultimately able to give him that that second bit of support. So what do you think of Boston so far? It's just been kind of one of the biggest questions on, on the piece that I wrote about them for the 30 questions, one for each team was, you know, Jason Tatum's going to have some of the most pressure on him out of anybody in the entire NBA And right now we're seeing it because some of it self-imposed, you know, he wanted to, you know, he said that he wanted to take himself up to that top five uh, player in the NBA. He's gone the wrong direction. He's kind of squandered a really hot performance from a Jalen Brown, Uh, you know, kind of catching lightning in a bottle with some of the shooting that we saw from Marcus Smart and Grant Williams. What they really needed was Jason Tatum just to have an average game. And he couldn't even do that. 
uh, you know, Al Horford's reacclimating to this team. They did make a lot of changes. This is not the same Boston Celtics team that we saw last season, although two seasons ago, a lot of these guys were on this very roster. So I, it's shocking to me that they are winless right now. And I'm looking at their next few games. I think that they might be able to pick it up here, Kenneth, but I wouldn't be surprised if you're looking at us an under 500 team at the end of next week. Yeah, I mean, the next three games that you're mentioning, they've got Houston, Charlotte, and Washington. Houston, that's a game that you have to win, especially if you're going to be in this Eastern Conference playoff race. You can't afford to drop a game early like that because then you play a tough Charlotte team and a Washington team that started hot. So I think overall they need to go 2-1 and one over this stretch to really get themselves back into that position. What do you think they need to do? I think 2-1 and one is, is where is probably like the realistic approach. They got to turn it around now. That that Houston game has got to be the game where they figure each other out and find themselves. I think two and one's the right answer. Wouldn't be a surprise, though, if they do a a clean sweep and kind of silence some of the naysayers. Exactly, and we've seen Tatum start slow. And as we said earlier, do we really see him doing that long-term? I don't. I don't think you do either. So overall, they just need to pick it up as a whole. Then we've got two teams that are... What we were projecting to be bottom of the Eastern Conference this year for different reasons, you know, Orlando, they started with a blowout loss to San Antonio, who's not a great team this year. And then they got blown out by the Knicks as well. Mo Bamba's played well for them, but overall, they they don't have a lot of talent there. And then you've got the Detroit Pistons, who we mentioned earlier. They don't have Cade Cunningham to start, but they lost two straight games to Chicago to open up. No real standouts for this team overall. So what do you make of Orlando and Detroit so far? Well, Orlando, I'm I'm not too surprised on Kenneth because he, their best player is in his, what, third season, and he's getting the most playing time that he's ever gotten, and he's responding very well, that being Mo Bamba. Then you got two rookies on this team. You, you, you know, Franz Wagner coming out from uh, Michigan last season, and then also J- Jalen Suggs, who I'm still very high on. I mean, it's obviously – Two games is too soon to be given up on a young guy, but I was expecting him to be a little bit more dominant. But overall, I mean, this Orlando Magic team is in the perfect situation if you're looking to rebuild because, one, their location, it's a little bit um, low-key. They can rebuild and not really have too high of expectations on them. And then Detroit, I'm surprised by Killian Hayes. I mean, is this dude still injured? What's going on with him? You know, because he's he's giving you one point per game, three rebounds, and two and a half assists per game. This is a guy that a lot of people, not me, but I know some people who had him number one overall in his draft class. And I had him, I believe, ninth. And even that might have been too high. But right now, he's not looking good. Granted, you know, they don't have Cade Cunningham. They still got some ballers on this team. Jeremy Grant falling off a little bit from his production last season. But I mean, have teams figuring him out. It's kind of hard to say. But, you know, the next three games for Orlando, Kenneth's looking like New York, Miami, Charlotte. Next three games for Detroit. Atlanta, Philadelphia, Orlando. I'm not really expecting either one of these teams to do anything more than maybe win a game out of that stretch. And that's funny because I was just about to ask you because we know that these two teams play each other on Saturday next week. So when we come back to this discussion, we know that one of these teams is going to have to have a win, which is someone has to have a win. Someone has to have a win at some point. So who do you think comes back with the win? Do you think both of them come back with the win? Like maybe there's a game outside of that matchup where they could potentially win or do you think we're coming back with just one winless team i think detroit might be the the team with the win but if orlando does have a win 
coming in next week. It has to be against Detroit. I don't see them beating New York, Miami, or Charlotte. Now, again, Grant, we know that one of these, we know that there's going to be a surprising victory because, I mean, 82 games, people are going to be resting players, things like that. You know, it's not always going to go the way that it matches out to be on paper. But if I had to put money on a team coming back with a win, I think because it's surely schedule, it's going to be Detroit. I would agree there. I think that they both have daunting schedules outside of playing each other. I mean, we've got Orlando, as you said, New York, Miami, Charlotte, Detroit. You've got Atlanta, Philly, and then they get that Orlando game. So I would have to put money on Detroit as far as these ones go, but wouldn't be shocked. I I would be shocked if both of them come in with a victory. So then we head over to the Western Conference and, you know, the team that is in dissension, they're already fighting. They're, they're getting into it with fans in the stands. That's my LA Lakers. And you know, they were they were up against Golden State in the first game, but then they ultimately fell 121 to 114. Then you've got Phoenix, who controlled the majority of that game. The Lakers kind of made it close and made it look a lot better than it really was in a 115 to 105 game. So overall, we know Westbrook has struggled. Davis has played fairly well. LeBron has played okay for, for LeBron standards. So overall, though, they've got a bit of an easier schedule now coming up because we know Golden State are both and Phoenix are both playoff teams this year. So what do you make of the Lakers, and what do you think they'll do over their next three games? They do have Memphis, San Antonio, and Oklahoma City. So I'm not surprised that they've gotten off to a slow start. Maybe I was expecting 1-1, one and one, but 0-2 oh is not that far off. I mean, they still have to figure out how to play with each other. This is not a team that played together at all last season. You know, Russell Westbrook giving you about 12-8-7 on some very low percentages. Um, Dwight and DeAndre Jordan combined for this so far this year are giving you less than five points, less than eight rebounds, zero blocks in about 23 minutes of play between the both of them. Those are not numbers that you're counting on, especially when you look to move off of the disappointment that Mark Gasol was for this team last season. Anthony Davis doesn't want to be a, a quote unquote center, but I'm looking at this team right now. And I think one of the biggest adjustments that they have to make in order for them to do some damage Moving down the line is somebody, I don't know who it can be. It's not going to be Dwight Howard based off the footage on, that we saw from their last game. Someone has to tell Anthony Davis that he has to play center. Again, it doesn't look like it's Dwight Howard, but it's got to be somebody. Um, moving down the line, I think that the Lakers realistically can go 2-1, and one, maybe 3-0. and oh. I mean, it's a favorable stretch of three games, but... Again, this is something that I think that a lot of us were expecting, and it's the typical LeBron James always ramps up slow. Now, as he's aging, you can't really afford to do that as much as what you used to, but I'm not – don't press the panic button yet, L.A. fans. Just don't do it. I tweeted it out the other day. I will start to panic at the 20-game mark. Like, if you get to the 20-game mark, you're like 8-12 and 12 or something, then it start to, to worry because in the Western Conference, you fall that far behind you better start to figure it out quickly. But through two games, you lose to two playoff teams. You're leading against one of them. You still haven't looked great in either game. Now you get this stretch. If you drop one of those like Oklahoma City games, then I might start to panic a little bit. But overall, as you said, LeBron can't do what he used to, which was just put the team on his back, go and win like 15 out of 16 games, and then everything's all fine and dandy. So Overall, I think L.A. just needs a bit more time. The other L.A. team also has had some issues out of the gate with the L.A. Clippers. You know, they lost to Golden State as well. They were up against them, but ultimately fell. 
And then as four and a half point favorites, they lost to Memphis 120 to 114. They were leading in that game as well. So overall, Paul George has played really well out of the gate. Guys like Reggie Jackson haven't. Eric Bledsoe struggled a little bit as well. Terrence Mann, a guy that I think a lot of people had high expectations for. He struggled out of the gate so far, but once again, we're only two games in. So what do you make of the Clippers? They've got a stretch coming up with Portland twice and Cleveland. So do you think they can right the ship or what are your expectations for the Clippers? I think they maybe go two and one. I think they probably split split the series with Portland and then they hopefully can beat, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers. But Cleveland looks better this year than what they have in in prior seasons. Cleveland might be on this this up and up, maybe the the Charlotte Hornets of last year, you know, so to speak. I think they kind of mirror them a little bit because Evan Mobley is is coming to play. And I look at the Clippers. I don't know any postman. This is really funny to say for me, Kenneth, but I don't know of any postman on the Clippers that can keep up with Evan Mobley. On that being said, Paul George might have to guard him. But at the same time, we've seen Paul George give you some really tremendous games. Reggie Jackson, on the other hand, looking like he was going to be the second you know, leading score on this team, only giving you 14, three and four. Again, we know, we know, we know Clipper fans. This is very early in the season. All right. We're not, we're not panicking either, but you know, to give some sort of insight and analysis, Reggie Jackson may be expecting close to 20 points per game from you with a Kawhi Leonard sitting out, but it looks like Eric Bledsoe is taking over that starting point guard role from him to allow this team giving you some, you know, some scoring off the bench. However, you know, it, it's shocking to see that they're 0-2, but I think that they might go 2-1 and over the next stretch. Yeah, I, I wasn't as high as many uh, as far as the Clippers coming into this year. I had them as the 9 in the West, but I, I would write this off kind of how I did with the Lakers where, okay, you lost to Golden State, you lost to Memphis, both teams that we assume are at, at minimum in the play-in game situation this year. So now you've got a stretch where you can potentially win some games. And Reggie Jackson, like if he continues to shoot 30% from the field this year, it's going to be a long year for Clippers fans. So he ultimately needs to step up in that department. And then the last two teams that we have in the Western Conference, we've got the Oklahoma City Thunder. They fell by 21 points to Utah, and then they lost to Houston by 33 points. That's not a great loss, considering Houston's in the same situation as you are in regards to a rebuild. Then we've got the Pelicans who are 0-3. They lost by 20 to Philly. They lost by 16 to Chicago. And then they lost by 7 to Minnesota. The thing to note about the Pelicans, as we all know, is that Zion Williams is not playing. He's also pushing 300 pounds, but he's not (laughs) playing. So what are your expectations for Oklahoma City and the Pelicans? As I said, Zion's out, but Oklahoma City, even Shea Gilgis-Alexander has struggled out of the gate. So what are your expectations for these teams moving forward? Well, Oklahoma City is kind of the same song and dance as last season and, you know, didn't have expectations on them either. The teams that they lost to, they were supposed to, even Houston, who you, they're young, but they want to win. Oklahoma City is young, but they just want one of their, you know, draft picks to turn into, you know, Kevin Durant, you know, James Harden and Russell Westbrook all over again. They're trying to remake, you know, a big three of MVP candidate, candidates organically. Um, they got Philly, Golden State, and L.A. next. Dare I say that they go 0-3 in that stretch. The biggest surprise to me from them, though, is Shea Gilgis-Alexander only giving you 15.5 points per game, four boards, and two assists. We touched on that earlier, though. It's because he's playing with a lot of inexperienced players. When you go from playing with Chris Paul to Josh Giddy, you know, it's, you're going to probably see a dip in your production you know, over those next three seasons. However, still would like to see better numbers from him. 
kind of like how he did last season with a lesser team. But um, this team didn't get any better, and it's on full display. The Pelicans, you would like to see them at least get a game, maybe even against, or maybe even two against Chicago and Minnesota. Both of those teams are undefeated, so maybe our expectations on them coming into the year are a little off based on how they finish. I don't know, but you know, without Zion, Brandon Ingram's been playing well, 27-7-6. and six. Uh, but who else is stepping up to play? And Nikhil Alexander-Walker has had one good game. Um, but other than that, he's kind of underperformed. And then it really falls off from there. Jonas Valanciunas is doing everything that we thought he was going to do for this team. However, he's only one player along with Brandon Ingram. They have Minnesota, Atlanta, and Sacramento. Based on the fact that they already lost to Minnesota by seven, maybe they win that game. Don't expect them to beat Atlanta. I don't even think they win against Sacramento. So... It's going to be tough for me to see the Pelicans win without Zion, and it's not going to take away any pressure for that organization to start winning with a, a, a guy that everyone has touted as a, the future face of the NBA. Yeah, and the concerning part about the Pelicans is, yeah, Devontae Graham's played well. So has Alexander Walker had the one game, but the numbers look good. Same with Valanciunas. Ingram's played well. Once you get past those four, though, and that's where they miss Zion, we knew coming into this year that they didn't have a lot of depth. And so this is really hurting them in these games when you've got four guys playing well, but you need more than that in the NBA. You need to be able to go five, six, seven, eight guys deep as far as winning regular season games. They've got a stretch coming up where they could win a game or two. They've got Minnesota. they got Sacramento there. So hopefully they can win a game or two there. Oklahoma City looks like, to me, I think we're going to be coming back to this situation next week with them sitting at 0-5. When you got Philadelphia, Golden State, and the Lakers, that's not exactly a great stretch of games. And as you said, they're not really trying to win games right now. They're trying to get draft capital, so that way they can rebuild this team through the draft over the next three, four, five seasons. So uh, those are the teams that are winless so far. Before we head over to talk about the early MVP discussion, we want to promote our phenomenal sponsor over at Off the Ball, My Bookie. My Bookie matches up to 50% of your first deposit and up to $1,000. That's the largest bonus in the industry, the highest credit card acceptance rates, fast 48 hour payout processing. Use promo code Off the Ball at mybookie.ag and let's win big. So, Stephen, we're going to head over now. I'll flip it back to you. We're going to talk about some early MVP. Uh, favorites, and then we'll have to do our uh, our dash sign off here, and then we'll talk about some underperformers after that. Yeah, absolutely. How about we do a 180 on this one, Kenneth? Just to keep the people interested in the MVP conversation, how about we do the biggest underperformers? We'll sign off, and then we'll have everybody come join us on the podcast okay. for our Sounds MVP discussion. All right, so real quick, I'll run through my biggest underperformers and give you some numbers, Kenneth. And I'll, I'll flip it back over to you. So Jason Tatum, to me, based off the expectations put on him by himself, based off what we've seen from him in previous seasons, giving you 19 points per game, nine rebounds, four assists, shooting under 35% from the floor, only 21% from deep on almost 10 attempts per game and less than a steal per game. Those are all under his career numbers right there. Um, really big disappointment. And I also factored the the wins um, as, far, as far as the players who were the biggest disappointments, right? Uh, Devin Booker, right there too, 18.3 points per game, four rebounds per game, four assists per game, shooting less than 40% from the field, 33% from deep on six attempts per game. I've always kind of touched on this, that he kind of underperforms from deep to me. I think his long shot is uh, a little overvalued and a little overrated. Chris Middleton, 
the team is doing decent, but he's giving you less than 20 points per game, four rebounds per game, three assists per game, only shooting 44% from the floor, 23.5% from deep on almost six attempts per game. Russell Westbrook, probably not a surprise to anybody here, 11.5 points per game, eight rebounds, seven assists, shooting less than 36% from the floor. How about this, Kenneth? No three-pointers hit at all in three-and-a-half attempts per game and giving you four turnovers per game. Now, this last guy, a guy that I'm really big on for most improved candidate, a lot of people put expectations on his rookie teammate. I was looking more at Kevin Porter Jr. to do a little bit more. Again, it's still young in the season, but less than 15 points per game, three rebounds per game. His assist numbers look good at six-and-a-half, but he's giving you 39.3% from the floor, 40% from deep on seven-and-a-half attempts per game, but over five turnovers per game. Kenneth, what do you think of my list? And let's hear yours. Uh, I, I have Tatum on my list and Booker on my list. Those are kind of my top two. I mean, 34% shooting for a franchise player like Jason Tatum isn't great. 39% shooting for a guy like Devin Booker certainly isn't. I agree on Middleton Westbrook and Kevin Porter Jr. Although Porter Jr. I wasn't as high on as a lot of people heading into the season. I still think he's really young and that he's going to go through these stretches where he's really going to struggle. But at least through two games, he's definitely underperformed. So I see why you have him there. A guy that I mentioned earlier, Reggie Jackson, was my third mm. at 14-4-3 when they just paid you as much money as they did. And you're shooting 30% from the field. Like, think Jeez. about how bad Tatum's been and you're shooting worse than he is. So... I think that's really telling as, as to why this team is losing games the way that they are. He needs to be a lot better. It can't just be Paul George this year. They need that secondary production. I got John Collins on mine as well. I know that Atlanta okay. won a game, but at 11 and 10 to start the season, I just think that he needs to be doing a lot more. He's a guy that got paid this summer. Uh, I know a lot of the, the point stuff is because of his game the other night where he only had six, but you can never have six points when you're getting paid as much money as you are. Even when you're struggling, I need you to get to that 10 or 12 points because we're anticipating that he's supposed to be an 18 to 20 point per game guy. So he's really got to up that. Uh, and so I think the expectations on John Collins need to be a lot higher. Then I guess it's a duo here, which might be a cop out. It's kind of like the NBA 75 list where I don't have 75. I got 76. Okay. Well, I got go. a top five that's really a top six in Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi. That's fair. Because Fred Van Vliet, 13, six, and four on 34% shooting. It's not going to get it done, especially when Pascal Siakam is out. We know that he's missing. Scotty Barnes has been the Raptors' best player so yeah. far this year. And I don't think it's even been close given the way that he's performed. Then you've got OG Ananobi. He's 16, six, and one. Yeah, 16 points is fine, but when you're shooting 32%, are you trying to do a little bit too much or is it just you need to up those numbers as far as shooting goes, get yourself to that 20 point per game guy, because you and I were both very high on him heading into the year. We had him in our top 100 list. We had him kind of in the middle of the pack of that top 100 list. So when you're in that echelon of players, definitely need a lot more than 32% shooting. That's why it's even surprising that the Raptors have won a game because when your two best guys are shooting below 35%, and you're still winning games, I think, uh, is really impressive by them. So those would be my top five underperformers. Yeah, and those are all fair and good. You know, it's it's nice to hear you, you know, bash on the Raptors a little bit. But, you know, it, at the same time, are those two the best two players? Pascal Siakam's injured, and then Scotty Barnes, who I was low on. I'll, I'll admit it now. But uh, 
he's he looks phenomenal for that team you know he might be one of the big you know the best surprises coming out of here you know the the rookie crop that you know of evan mobley scotty barnes and then hello chris duarte out of nowhere uh all three of those guys have done well but kenneth man um that was fun we're still going to continue on here on the podcast but in terms of you know where we're on for dash radio we're going to go ahead and as couch coach live over at off the ball network like to say we're going to put a little bow at the end of this conversation right so uh kenneth let's just uh tease the folks with some of the things that we have in the works and you know go ahead and shout out off the ball network definitely go check out all the all the network stuff at offtheballnetwork.com we've got betting articles we've got nba stuff coming we've got our twitter exclusive uh f- full court fridays that happen at 7 30 eastern time we just started that this past friday so something to keep an eye on you definitely want to stay tuned as well because right after this show go straight into shooter shoot basketball podcast which is my show on dash radio so be sure to tune into that as well and just overall check out off the ball network for all your sports needs yeah and then just shout out for the rest of the guys at the network that are going to be continuing on here on off the ball mondays you got us you got Kenneth again, you got Mo, you got Prez, and then you got the Hoopers for their evening run. So a lot of great stuff going on here at, you know, the Nothing But At channel here on Dash Radio. But as for us here at Breaking the Game, this has been Kenneth Cottrell. This has been Stephen Gillespie uh, for Off the Ball Network. Shout out to our sponsor, MyBookie. We'll catch up with everybody next time. Much love, y'all. Much love. All right, Kenneth. So we got everybody here that listened to us from – the nothing but that channel on dash radio we we teased it it's here this is the conversation that everyone's looking forward to right because it's young in the season which means there could be some variance it's probably not going to stay this way all season long but kenneth early mvp discussion i'm just going to lay out that for mine i went with teams that are essentially undefeated there is one there is one team on here or one player that represents one team that isn't undefeated but that's just because he's been freaking phenomenal as to be expected. But Kenneth, who is leading the way in your early MVP discussion? So leading my MVP discussion, it has to be Steph Curry. We mentioned him a couple times earlier. Yeah, the the overall percentage is 45% shooting, but the three-pointers at 47, that's just unheard of in the NBA. Uh, he's 33-10-5. It's hard not to have Steph right there. My second is Nikola Jokic because he's hot on his heels, 29 and 14 and five. He's a 68% from the field guy, almost 69%. So overall, those two are my top two. I actually then go to Zach Levine at number three because Chicago has started three and oh, they are the best team in the Eastern Conference right now. And he's really what's making this team go. I know that they added Vucevic and DeRozan, but 26, five and four on 51% shooting from his position. It's just been really impressive to watch. They were they were actually struggling their first game against Detroit early. Second half, he just came out and took that game. I think he finished with like 34 points and a bunch of assists and rebounds. So I've got Levine there at three. I've got Julius Randle at four, 28, nine, and eight. It's just really impressive what he's doing with the Knicks. And then at number five, I've actually got Carl Anthony Towns. It's an okay. undefeated Minnesota team right now. 27 and seven he's shooting 60 percent from the field the two guys that i kind of have just on the outside looking in one because the team isn't winning and one because i think the team is going to continue to win so the team that's not winning is the los angeles clippers but that's not because of paul george 
Paul George is averaging 35 points per game out of the gate. I think if they can improve the win totals, then we're going to start to see him more in the MVP discussion because he just needs his supporting cast to actually show up in order to be considered. And then a team that's winning and he's just on the outside for me is John Morant because at 32 and a half per game, seven rebounds, I think there's a case to be made for him in the MVP discussion as well. So those would be my top five, AKA top seven list as far as the MVP discussion goes. That's that's fair. You know, I, I echo your same sentiment. Steph Curry is number one on my list. I have Nikola Jokic, who is number three on my list, and ditto that for Julius Randle at number four. At number two, I have Kevin Durant because, like you gave Paul George his props because it's not the way it's not his fault the way his team is performing. Kevin Durant has already recorded a triple double. He's given you almost thirty-one points per game, thirteen rebounds per game, eight assists, shooting forty-nine percent from the floor. Three-point percentage a little low at 31, but he's also giving you a block and a half per game as well, so he's giving you those defensive chops. And then at number five, I'm really excited about this one. I was completely lower on him than a lot of other people on the NBA draft, but Lomelo Ball is number five on my list because he is the absolute leader of his team. The Hornets are on the come-up this season, they're undefeated. He's giving you 24 points per game, six rebounds, six and a half assists per game, shooting almost 55% from the floor, almost 67% from deep on four attempts per game, Kenneth. And how about this? Three and a half steals per game, not too shabby. So what do you think about my top five for MVP so far? I really like the top five. I understand the Kevin Durant argument for sure. I think he's a guy that's just going to be in the discussion all year as long as Brooklyn continues to win games. And I like the LaMelo Ball shout out as well because he's a guy, this Charlotte team, people have them anywhere from that 7 to 12 in, in the Eastern Conference. But for them to start out 2-0, and he's played really well. He's made everyone around him better. What What's more valuable than making everyone else around you better? Yeah, it's really hard to deny that. And plus, it's week one, man. Like, let's have let's have some fun. Let's put some names in there. You know that that may not be in there come the end of the season. Give them their give them their love early. But with that being said, I only think I have one guy who's probably not going to be. And that's why I have Levine in Towns because same thing. Like, do I expect Minnesota to really win a lot of games this year for Towns to get love? Nope. But they started out really well. Levine, that's a team that may finish outside the top six in the east which probably takes him out of the discussion but when i even had someone on here discussing the mvp odds zach levine was like plus eight thousand. so the mm. fact that he was that kind of odds at 80 to one i figured i had to throw him in here at some point since the name <laughs> was mentioned so yeah get you some get you some uh betting uh, value out of him and where he's and where he's landed so far but man kenneth this has been fun uh obviously nba is my favorite time of the year i know it's up there for you as well and that's gonna put it it's gonna put an end to our discussion for week one but if you want to know anything else about week one that have happened uh don't fret because over at offtheballnetwork.com where you can get all of your sports needs i have a an article that's called the full court report and it's going to be a weekly discussion um that's going to be up there about the time that you're listening to this as well and we talk about more than just team standings. We did a little touch on the top 75 list or, or AKA the top 76 list that the NBA just released. And then also a little bit of um, analysis on the Los Angeles Lakers dissension that Kenneth so eloquently touched on. And then also, is there a little bit of a change of heart going on in Philadelphia right now? That's going to be included on the article as well. 
Kenneth, let's go ahead and plug some of the things that you have going on, man. Yeah, definitely. Follow me on all social platforms at shooters underscore pod. Got a lot of good stuff going on over there. Another winning week in the golf betting article space. Hey. So that's huge. As far as uh, NFL article, it's already looking promising out of the gate. So we'll see if we can put up another winning week there. We're up over 30 units for the NFL season through six weeks. So to put that in perspective, even if you're making $10 bets, you'd be up 300 bucks this year. So that's huge as well as far as, as those articles go. We've got bets on bets on bets that just happened uh, earlier today on Sunday. Uh, we already got our guy Cole as 2-0 to start the day. So uh, another great bet. Overall, just your betting needs are met at Off the Ball Network. We're constantly putting out winners all the time. We got See You Sunday. We got Overreaction Monday happening as well. I'm usually on those as well. So just a lot of great stuff happening at OffTheBallNetwork.com. Yeah, and we have Full Court Fridays in full effect now. It's going to be every Friday at 7.30 Eastern. And, uh, you know, for all of you who are into the NBA draft, uh, president of Off the Ball Network, Chris LeBron and myself, started uh, Draft Capital. First episode has already been released, so please go and follow that at Draft Capital NBA on all social media platforms. You can look it up anywhere you get your podcast at Draft Capital, um, again, on all streaming platforms. But for breaking the game, go tell your friends about us. You can follow us anywhere. Social media is available at BTG NBA Pod. We have our own YouTube. Shout out to Off the Ball Network who has YouTube as well. We're streaming on that currently as we speak. We're just all over the place, Kenneth. And so is Off the Ball Network. Again, shout out to the big network. Shout out to the big boss, Chris LeBron. But as far as breaking the game goes here on our podcast, Kenneth, why don't we go ahead and tell the nice people to have a good day. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs> yep, we'll catch up with y'all next time. Much love, everybody.